Today on Prina and Kirsten Get to Work, we're on episode three of our multi-part series of things that don't need to suck. This one about difficult conversations, you know, the floss of dental hygiene, the colonoscopy of exams. (laughs) The things that are useful, helpful, (laughs) but are hard. The don't need to suck. (laughs) Welcome to Krina and Kirsten Get to Work. I'm Krina Hoyer. And I'm Kirsten Burt. Maybe we should try that again. Do it. Who are you? Let's keep it. <laughs> and I'm Kirsten Barron. I actually can say it. Um, actually, it's not Kirsten. I brought in a double who doesn't really know her name. Uh, anyway, what are we here for, Kirsten? Ease, meaning, and joy. For who? Um, women at work. That's right. Because we want everyone to love what they do and yeah. do what they love, right? To love their work and to get meaning and joy and for it not to be so stinking hard all the time. But back to colonoscopies, I want some ease in the colonoscopy. I want the colonoscopy not to suck. I'm sorry. <laughs> you want your uh, proctologist to figure out how I to make colonoscopies not, not a suck. proctologist. I think you're going in a direction I wasn't anticipating. And I'm going <laughs> As always. to suggest that we take an immediate left turn from there, <laughs> friend. Okay, I'm going to change the subject. Change the subject quickly. Speaking of things that are slightly (laughs) difficult, before we get into this difficult conversation, have you noticed that re-entry into the workplace is riddled with uh, new experiences and landmines and joys and, you know, fancy fairies and rainbows? You used a very interesting phrase. Mm. You said it's like summer camp. Mm-hmm. And I think that's right. Like there is an excitement, there's uh, an energy, but there's also some like discomfort and some freneticism. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, when you go to summer camp and you're trying to learn the campers and how you fit in. I think that was such a great analogy because that's what people are doing. Yes. There's new beginnings, etc. But there's also... Mm, some trauma, mm. right? So mm-hmm. we're also kind of navigating what it lost too, like leaving mm-hmm. something that we've now created new patterns. It's, you know, mm-hmm. 18, some of us have been doing this new way for 18 months. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this whole thing plays out, this grand experiment we call humanity. And I will say, you know, this going back to work, I, I'm really encouraging the people that I work with to take things slow, mm-hmm. keep expectations, you know, moderate, and really kind of create safe spaces for people to get to know each other again. There was an article in the New York Times titled something to the effect of the employees you think are coming back to work are not the same people. Yes. And I think if if we can all yeah. recognize that, in fact, even though we, they look the same and they have the same name, there are a lot of folks that are like strangers to one another mm-hmm. and we've changed. We've all changed. And we're all trying to figure out what is it that we keep from the pandemic that we treasure, that we've learned. Yeah. And what is it that we had lost during the pandemic that we treasure and learned we love and want back? Yeah. And that whole thing. I mean, I was talking to um, somebody I know who works in the schools and she's a counselor and she is actually telling teachers that the first six weeks of next fall should be all about relationship and team building. 
I, and no focus on academics. I love that. That's brilliant. Oh, if only we could do that at work. Yeah. It could be like summer camp. But I think spending but, we can't. but I think spending time doing and so I'm noticing this. I'm encouraging my clients to do the same. I think I even recently used the phrase cradle, find ways to cradle your staff, mm-hmm. cr- feed them, make them feel valued in a way, you know, do that extra do the now's mm-hmm. the time to do the extra. Yeah. Now is the time for ourselves and for each other. I agree. Yeah. Okay, and then on the heels of that, also have the conversations you need to have. Have Which the is what diffi- we're talking about today. <laughs> right into difficult conversation. That's my segue. It's funny though that we chose to do this. You know, difficult conversations don't need to suck because I don't. I don't know if difficult conversations. I don't know. Do you think they suck? Okay. I'm going to say there's, okay, there are all kinds of difficult conversations, which we'll get into. They do not need to suck. But I will tell you, I have been a part of a couple of difficult conversations in the last year that were really, really, really hard. But having said that, I do, I have difficult conversations almost every day with people delivering bad news, trying to, you know, work through a disappointment. Um, but for, I have conversations that are so difficult for me that they suck. So I experienced this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Do you want to talk about the impact of not having? Yes, I would love to talk about the impact of not having a difficult conversation. As you know, we love a survey. We love ourselves some data. And Pew Research did a study that was cited in an article by Celeste Headley, 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation. They studied 10,000 American adults and their takeaways. And this is not going to be any surprise to people. You've heard this in the news so much that at this very moment... We are polarized. We are more divided than we've ever been in our history. We're less likely to compromise. We're less likely to listen to each other. Um, And we make decisions about, you know, where where we live, who we're going to marry. Major life decisions. Major life decisions based on what we already believe. Very insular. Yeah. We're pretty insular right now. Yeah. And the other thing about this is that what this really says is we are not listening to each other. Yeah. We are not open to new information. That's We're right. siloed. That's right. And so as a result of not engaging in public discourse, of not having the difficult conversations that we need to have without practicing talking to people mm-hmm. who don't agree with us or who may be in direct conflict with you, we have you know, gotten ourselves into the situation that has led to this polarized. And this drills all the way down from our conversations about politics into the conversation we're having with our mom about getting the vaccine. Right. It is just filtered through our entire, you know, lives. Yes. Experience. Mm -hmm. And when you dig into the impact of not having difficult conversations at work. So as a community, as a society, we're polarizing ourselves by not mm-hmm. doing this. At work, we're doing the same thing, mm-hmm. plus. Yes. Uh, there's another research paper that we took a look at, um, and the, the research was done by C- CPP Incorporated and Accenture, um, and they cited that a U.S. employee spends about 2.8 hours, so almost three hours a week, dealing with workplace conflict that was caused by people who could have sort of remedied that situation by having a difficult conversation. A problem that they don't attempt to solve. Yes. Yep, mm-hmm. an issue that they do not address. 
a feeling, a slight, an experience that they are not willing to step up and deal with. So they just suffer, suffer, suffer. So they suffer, suffer, suffer. Mm -hmm. And it has intense consequences. A third of those uh, issues about the, a third of those situations actually result in personal injury or attacks. Which is bizarre. If you can believe that. I know when I read that, I was like, wait, that what? That seems like a lot. So rather than have a difficult conversation, we let it fester. And then what? We come at our coworker with a frying pan? No, I find it's usually a set of keys. Is that right? As an aside, yeah, somebody throws a set of keys or a trash can, just oh. so you know, as the employment lawyer, when things go wrong, those are typically the things. Stapler. Gla Sorry. Coffee mug. I've not had a coffee mug yet, but that makes a lot of sense. Trash can was a personal experience trash for you, Trash can for you, wasn't was it? a personal workplace experience. We won't get into that too, because we don't want to, what do you call that? Out me. I'm sorry I threw out, that at you. We don't want to out the people. 22% uh, of these difficult conversations, so 22% of these conversations that could have been had um, but aren't and therefore are causing people to waste time um, also lead to illness. Of course, because if you're stressed out, 22% of the people who are not having these conversations are sick. They yep. don't want to come to work. They're stressed. They're yep. absent. Yep. Mm -hmm. And or they're quitting. Uh -huh. In fact, 35% of the um, people in the survey said that's why they quit. So, you know, in order to get more ease, meaning, and joy, we want to eliminate suffering. Right. Remove the suffering, remove the difficulty. And this incredible set of stats really tells us how many folks are impacted by things in the workplace, situations, events that could be resolved or at least improved by just having a stinking difficult conversation. Yes. And I have to acknowledge that they don't need to suck. No, they do have not. Have we mentioned that? We mentioned that. And also... You know, I you can <laughs> probably won't be the last time. <laughs> you think about difficult conversations and how at work, I think about when I picture someone having a difficult conversation. I frequently picture a subordinate talking to their supervisor, right? About about asking for a raise, yep, or a work assignment, or some kind of a change. Yes, mm -hmm. but I recently read another study that indicated that at upwards of like two thirds of managers avoid difficult conversations as well oh yeah it's so, this is this is universal yeah so this is not just no. somebody who's having a hard time asking no. for a raise this is the manager who has to arrest some no no who has to address behavior issues mm -hmm. or you know mm -hmm. um talk or arrest to their, them which or, is also a very good word karina okay stop i know stop them arrest them i love it thank you yeah i try to i try to catch myself with the militaristic or police based oh fair enough i don't know why i used to be really like we used to talk about marching orders and you know i think about mountain arrest like when you're on a mountain self-arrest self yeah. yeah yeah it's it, uh, it's interesting though some of the language around mm -hmm. anyway okay that's a whole nother subject but yeah there's a lot of militaristic language there are we have been dealing with it at the law firm um, my partner came in and said, I don't think we should use the word master lease anymore. And I was like, I agree. Let's call it the primary lease. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so just as words. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. that is. Okay. Okay. Was Can it we start that list? Because now I want to talk about that. <laughs> okay, back to difficult conversations. Okay, so, okay, so, so we know that they, we know that people don't have them, they're not having mm -hmm. them, and they have profound impacts on the workplace and, frankly, on community. So, Karina, why don't people want to have them? Well, because they think they're going to suck. Well, yes, but why? Um, well. What are the specifics? One of the reasons why people don't want to have them is because they're afraid. Mm -hmm. They're uh, afraid yeah. and embarrassed. And they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. They're afraid of heading into confrontation or conflict. They're afraid of blame 
or really not feeling honored. I think they're even afraid of some tangible things like losing a job or mm-hmm. losing a friend, mm-hmm. which is. And all- it's just sometimes uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uncomfortable, right? I mean, it makes you like, I, anyway, my experience is I feel a little sick to my stomach. Mm-hmm. I feel my pulse racing a little bit. I get a little sweaty. Yep. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Because I know I'm making somebody, I know, I suspect my my that somebody else is going to be uncomfortable by what I have to say. Yeah. The story you mm-hmm. tell yourself. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, because frequently... The story we tell ourselves is slightly off. Mm, Of course. Right. So that's another one to challenge. But when we talk about difficult conversations, I'm curious to explore really what do we mean? You and I went back and forth on this a lot. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. Because I was thinking a difficult conversation is something that makes you slightly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. It really does. It's like, Mm -hmm. and I referenced... um, even my sister, I remember her as a teenager. She didn't want to like call and order pizza. She didn't like, I would have characterized that as a difficult conversation for her, for her. Mm-hmm. But after talking this through with you, I realized that's not, no, that's just hard. That's just a little bit of a hump she needs to get over. Confidence or comfort or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Difficult conversation is one that's really characterized by fear, by I- emotions like anger and frustration and conflict, Mm -hmm. right? So dividing divisive emotions. And I also think, and I want to say that I think even in your sister with her converse with the, you know, calling for pizza or whatever, those elements can be in the conversation where you ask for a raise and you're worried you're going to get fired. Like some of those same elements can be there. But one of the things that what we were talking about in trying to distinguish these kinds of conversations. There's some conversations hard for you to have because of your lack of confidence or your fear, but there are other conversations that are hard to have because you're trying to get to solution. You're trying to get somebody else to come with you, to agree with you, to change their behavior, to convince you why you should change your behavior. So there's a lot at stake. Yes. Yes. I think that's why they're difficult. That's right. And that's not, I mean, yeah. And that's not necessarily calling and ordering for pizza. Even though that can be hard, I think what we're trying to talk about and what we want to talk about in this episode is more about how do you manage that when there's this tension between people? Yeah. Yeah. When there's this thing in the middle of the room. That you, yeah, that you have to identify. Or else suffer. Or suffer. And we don't want to do the suffering. Or throw keys. Or, yeah, maybe, exactly. Or quit. Yeah. Some people avoid uh, the person who they want, they should be having a difficult conversation Mm -hmm. with. Um, for up to two years. That is I read insane. in another article. We're so good at getting out of what we don't want to do, aren't we? I oh, mean, as masters, humans, just masters we are, if we could turn that energy that we're so good at avoiding and denying into dealing, it's just remarkable. So, you know, I am, I am like, where's the sunshine here? Where's the good news? Where's the sunny day? And the good news is, and this was um, some research from, of course, Harvard Business Review, which we absolutely love, some studies that they did in in an article called The Work Conversations We Dread the Most. Here's what I just love. 66% of people in the workplace want to make other people feel more comfortable. So whether you're the person starting the conversation or at the other on the other side, two thirds of people really want everybody to feel comfortable, which yeah. I love. And here's the other good news. Most people, the vast majority of people prepare for a difficult conversation, which means when somebody starts talking to you about a difficult conversation, they have thought through it. They've thought it through and 
they most likely are concerned about your experience mm-hmm. in that conversation. Which I think is something really important to remember because that's not always our experience. And that, exactly. That is not the story we tell ourselves mm-hmm. back to that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, you know, earlier in the show when we said what makes something difficult, what makes a conversation difficult? Well, we cite that it's people are concerned or fearful that they're going to say the wrong thing or yes. create an unpleasant atmosphere or burn a bridge or burn a bridge or lose a mm-hmm. friend. So really one of the biggest, I guess I want to pause and just call this out again. One of the biggest reasons why people don't have difficult conversations is because we're afraid to offend. Mm-hmm. When in fact, if we have the courage to do it and we do it well, we can create, you build a relationship, you build relationship, you build relationship. That is the thing about conflict. It is an opportunity to, I mean, I have had, I have some of my best clients because we've worked through a conflict or a difficult conversation. Yes. And I think the same is true for friends. I think so. I mean, we see that even in, you see that time and time again, people bond together mm-hmm. when they're solving difficult problems, mm-hmm. when they're slightly outside of their comfort zone, when they're on a high ropes course, not when they're back floating in the pool. Exactly. As good as that is. Back oh, floating do in not. The pool. Yes. With, yeah. Tubing with, down the river. With please with don't Steve denigrate that. Making a cocktail. <laughs> With your beloved yes, and his gin and tonic. Exactly. But I think that's the point. So, so okay. Schedule A drugs, by the way. This, <laughs> Mr. Brent's, my beloved's gin and tonics are Schedule A drugs. They're listed there if you look at the federal statutes. <laughs> he does make a good GNT, I will that say. man. So, okay. So, we're trying to convince you that you can do this. That you can and should have difficult conversations. That they don't need to suck, have we mentioned. And that there are some steps you can take to prepare and to get yourself ready to go. I think this is the most important part of the show, frankly. But before you say that, I just had this vision that like 20 people are going to want to have difficult conversations with me. <laughs> like I'm just inviting all these people to say, you know, Kirsten, for the last two years. <laughs> Do you want to practice right now? Yeah, let's practice. Well, I'm giving, I'm like, this is great. Let's just have at it. Okay. Kirsten, I've been meaning to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about. Okay. So the first part, I think, of... Um, of a courageous conversation, difficult conversation, however you want to phrase it. I love the word courageous too, is really setting your mindset. Yeah. Right. And I have heard this. I took um, a wonderful class with Janet Ott uh, years ago and we talked about, she calls them courageous conversations. Is Janet a consultant? Uh She's a wonderful workplace consultant. Um, And I will, I like when you said to me, and I said, oh, I had this class with Janet Ott. I talked about this. She's like, well, what did she say? And I was like, oh, I know exactly what she said. Even though it was like, I don't know, 12 years ago. It, she said, be curious, 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 be curious, dig for information, pretend you don't know anything, try and find. Because you don't. Because you don't really, right? She said, always assume that somebody has the best intent and the data backs that up. Most people really have the best intent. Mm-hmm. And this is my favorite one. No fault, no blame. Yeah. You want to say something more about that? Trying to assess fault and blame does not get you through a difficult conversation. It keeps you in a difficult conversation. If your only desire is to levy blame, mm-hmm. write a letter. Write a letter and say, you are an a-hole. Yeah. And here's why. Yeah. Because that's not a conversation. That is not a conversation. Right. So if that's, that's a, what yeah. you want to do, just go write your letter, <laughs> send it, you know, deliver the mean text. I don't know. But that's just about your own vitriol. 
Yes. You know, and maybe yes. it's time to exercise that. Maybe it's time to burn that letter. I don't know. But I love the no fault, no blame. Because that really works well with the curiosity. That's right. When you're not worried about fault and blame, you're so able to be curious. And I love what you just said, too. Like, if the purpose, you can't enter into a difficult conversation with the purpose of, of, of blame. Right. I just want to be here to tell you you're a jerk. Or finding fault. Right. It's really a, should be about, about identifying an issue and coming to some sort of resolution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Curiosity is probably the hardest thing I think people at least that I coach Which you know, I just love have they have, that is the hardest thing I because know, in order curiosity. to be genuinely curious, you have to wipe your brain clean. Yeah. yeah. You can't ask leading questions that are rooted in what you already know to be true. That's not curious. Curious is not a sentence that ends with a up. Right. That sounds like you're asking a question, yes. Yes. but you've really already come to the conclusion. You know how I learned really to be curious was with my teenagers Oh, because their behavior is so aberrant, right? Like I remember my daughter coming down one day in this really, I mean, it was a super tight, super short dress, super high heels. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of lovely there. So much lovely on that girl. Do I let her out of the house? (laughs) And going up to her bedroom and seeing her baby dolls and her teddy bears in her bed. And I was like, wow, this is so weird. And then I pretended to be Jane Goodall. Mm. I put my little vest on. I get my little pad out. You're and my an archeo- pen. archaeologist. I was, right. I was a scientist. And I have found that when I start falling into, like, I can feel my energy rising. Yeah. I just sit back and say, mm, Jane Goodall, I'm a scientist. Yes. It's really helpful to just kind of. And then if you take notes and you write things down, like sometimes, I mean that literally, not metaphorically, it really helps you to stay curious. Jane Goodall, watching the wildlife. I love that. <laughs> I love that idea. I mean, I was paused, stunned yet again by something brilliant you said about <laughs> writing. God, you're such a good friend. Uh, writing it down, like writing. I find that I, mm-hmm. you know, I take copious notes now with my clients, and I, you know, it's because I also want to remember the conversation. But I am writing down what they say and questions, follow up questions I yep. want to ask them constantly because I'm just on this, you know, this archaeological. Oh dig to get to the bottom of of some of these Mm -hmm. reasons i do have to just correct something i just said though about jane goodall because she's not an archaeologist and i did just call her an archaeologist oh i thought she meant like an archaeologist no but see i just assumed the best i know you're such a good friend you are such a good (laughs) and we don't even have any brown liquor today what is our problem i don't know we have a brown liquor we need to get on that Okay, so once I've decided to get myself curious, set my mindset, like get out des- of fault and blame, decide that I'm my purpose is not to point a finger because, but God, that feels good sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to assume the best intent, and I'm going to have this conversation. So, how do you prepare? Well, there was a great article that we came across, you know, because other people have done so much good thinking that we just don't have to, frankly, you know. I'm going to, that is not, I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to challenge me. I'm going to challenge you on that. I think we find all kinds of stuff. We're like, that is trash or that is BS or that is not helpful. Yeah. You're you're right. I spend, I would say, I think of the 10 articles I read for these shows, maybe one is helpful. Yeah, it's true. Okay. It's true. And I think you have a really good way of articulating what, Judy Ringer has to say in her article, Step-by-Step Checklist for Difficult Conversations. Thank you. I think it's just really, you know, in addition to the mindset um, that Kirsten, really checking yourself and your intentions, you really do have to get yourself mentally prepared mm-hmm. for this. And I, I would recommend really just maybe you get out your little notebook again and, and your vest if you have one 
and you start an archaeological dig with yourself. Really thinking about, number one, what's your purpose? We've already said, if it's to blame, mm-hmm. don't do it. But but maybe, you know... If it's to convince somebody they're an asshole, probably not. Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Judy you know, kind of warns us, you know, watch out for hidden purposes. You can convince yourself that you're doing it because you just want to come to resolution when down deep inside you just want to blame. So can you just be honest with yourself and if, you know, and maybe get crystal clear on what your purpose is. And then also, and then, you know, start to really think about what buttons might get pushed. What is this, what is this difficult conversation going to feel like to you? Do you have the right attitude or mindset? Are you telling yourself a story about what's likely going to happen and therefore going to create it? Or are you open? Are you able to just sort of create or take what I have to be very careful on this one. And really prepare for, because my vulnerability is abandonment. Like, you don't see me. uh, I don't think you care about me. Like, it's that you don't see me thing. And so it's when I'm having a difficult conversation with somebody about something that's gone wrong between us. I am very likely to have my you don't see me triggered. Because if they had seen me, they wouldn't have done what they did. That's right. So when I go into those conversations, I already know, like, that's my deal. Yeah. And I have to manage that piece of uh, nuclear uh, fuel. You know, it, I, it's funny how some of these things are, they appear, they could feel really small to us in a way. I'm not going to say abandonment is small, but I was just thinking about my own. One of the things that used to bug the crap out of me about people was lateness. And the reason oh I God. hated it, I know, again. And then you got me. What? It's like the universe was like, oh yeah, you, you're going to have a like, problem with late? You're going to probably, but you love her. You so better, you got to figure out how to deal with how that. How are you going to deal with that one? Well, I would interpret it as a personal, I would interpret it as a personal, as a reflection on how you felt about me. I'm not important enough to you to be on time. But now I know it's not about me. It's about you or the fact that the, the person you were talking to about before really needed something or that you value a friendship. So that we're those kinds of friends that you don't have to be here mm-hmm. right away. And that you just accept my faults. Like I'm optimistic. Right. I'm not like, and of course, I'm a, you know, I'm an event timer. So that's right. all those so things. Assuming right. the best intent, mm-hmm. making sure that checking the stories that we're telling ourselves about the situation. Yep. So I'm about to have a difficult conversation with you about your lateness. And I'm realizing the reason I struggle with it so much is because I think it means you don't like me. Yeah. And I want or that you I to, don't respect or you, you don't or respect care. me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I yep. want you to respect all me. All super fair. So if you can get, you know, archaeological with yourself sometimes you can just kind of dig in and 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 instead of me feeling defensive yeah i say oh that's understandable yes like i can affirm what you just said as true and and uh, and maybe move quickly to resolution Mm -hmm. so i i don't know if there's anything you want to add to that kirsten i know we've talked a lot about prep 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 but i do think that you know 66 percent of people do prepare for these conversations Mm -hmm. so doing the right kind of prep and checking yourself and and checking the stories that you're telling in your purpose yeah like what is your purpose in this conversation and here's my other side note on this with purpose um sometimes i start with one purpose end of a conversation and because I really don't want to be on it I get distracted and I move out into other things Ah. and that is confusing Uh and ineffective and Uh so I think it's really important to figure out what your purpose is and stick to it and if something changes in the middle I think you either have to acknowledge it and say you know I really came to talk about this but I realize now I'm talking about this yeah 
you know, otherwise you just get meandering or you just hold it till a different time. Yeah. As opposed to piling on. (laughs) Or just get a friend like me who goes, wait, what I'm hearing you say is this. And And that's a lot to ask of a friend that is in. Yeah. Who's going to be, who's being, I don't know, confronted, uh, being asked to be part of a difficult conversation. But having your goal in mind and sticking to it, I think is a great suggestion. And then starting. Mm -hmm. So uh, that same article we referenced earlier has some great sentences (laughs) And you know what? I'm going to tell you, I I coach people all the time on difficult conversations, how to deliver discipline for employees, how to fire somebody, how to get out of something, how to, all the time. And I find that if people have the very beginning kind of set out how they're going to start, mm-hmm. they just seem to start out on a good foot and really flow. So saying that, I have something to discuss with you that I think will help us work more effectively. I have something to talk with you about that's going to be really difficult, but this is really important to me to say this to you. I'm, I think that, um, I, I need, need I need, need your help. I need with your this. help with something. I, I need think help figuring this out. I have different. I think we have different perceptions of this, or I'm trying to understand something. Really figuring out where to jump off into the conversation you know, how to get into it, I think is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Underrated. It is underrated. Tip. And once you start, you're right, it does start flowing. Mm-hmm. And it flows well if you're prepared. Uh-huh. It flows well if you're prepared. So uh, after you start, after you start mm-hmm. going. During the conversation. During the conversation. Don't get off on different tracks like keep I can yourself, do. Uh-huh. Keep yourself focused and, you know, continue to keep that attitude of discovery and curiosity. Because really what you're trying to do is get get answers to questions that are going to help you form an opinion. Not go in and sell somebody on your opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought this was a good one to think about. Make sure, and you can even make a note of this in your notepad. <laughs> let the other person talk oh yes this is one of my you know you and I in our conversation are active listeners we interrupt each other mm-hmm. you know we accentuate we, we footnote each other we're back and forth yeah and that is my style of conversation I grew up on the east coast I'm very much like that to me it's not a good conversation unless somebody's interrupting great not Except so great. in a difficult conversation. And then I think that that is very, very hard. So what you just said about listening, other people talking, don't interrupt. Remember that phrase that you used like a few months ago? Don't don't listen to be heard. Yes. No. What was it? No. Don't listen to respond. Yeah. Don't listen to respond. No, no, no. What was it? Don't don't listen to talk. Don't listen to talk. Don't. So. There I are listen. You said, I thought no, it was there don't are, listen to be heard. No, there are listen to be talkers. There's there are listen to talkers and listen to respond. Listen to understand. That's what you want. Jesus. Yes. There we go. There we go. So don't <laughs> don't listen to talk. Yeah. Don't just listen and look like you're waiting. Don't just be quiet until they're finished. So that waiting for you to to say what you already are planning on saying. Listen to understand what's being said mm-hmm. to you and mm-hmm. then respond appropriately. Okay. Then when you are listening, acknowledging what you've heard, you are likely bringing something up that is a little uncomfortable for you and likely uncomfortable for the other person. And you want that to give them an opportunity to feel heard. And that is by 
responding to what they say mm-hmm. and also acknowledging their emotions, acknowledging their potential uh, yes. experience, mm-hmm. acknowledging and responding to what they say and how they say it. I noticed you're getting a little bit uncomfortable right now and I didn't mean to do that. Do we need to take a couple of minutes break? Yeah. Is this still a good time to talk? I notice you're clutching your keys mm-hmm. and rearing back your arm. Does that mm-hmm. mean you're going to throw them at me? <laughs> Perhaps we should <laughs> take a break. And like when somebody raises their voice, right? Yeah. It it feels to me because I know a lot of I don't have a really hard time with a louder voice. Like I'm fine with that. But I know other people do. And so when somebody raises their voice at you, it's great to say you are raising your voice, which makes me think that you're upset. Can you tell me about why you're upset? Mm-hmm. So I, if you, so it's so hard to keep your own center of no fault, no blame, curiosity, good intentions, and then to be aware of what's happening with this other person. I mean, it's like super skills, which is why you have to practice. You have to practice. Mm-hmm. In fact, practicing with somebody else is sometimes really helpful. And so, at some point in the conversation, after you've been doing your, you've presented sort of, you've started it. You've you know presented some of what you're feeling. You've listened and responded to the other person. You also want to make sure that you get what you need yes. out of the conversation. And I think this is coming back to that goal. Why are we having this? What do what am why I, am I always the last person on the agenda? I want to know why I'm always the last person on the agenda. And then you listen to that and you say, oh, I see, because you think that this should come before that and that should come before this. And I understand why you've done that. And then you get to say, I understand that. And I would like you to understand me. It's hard for me to be in the last person on the agenda all the time because everybody is tired. They don't want to listen. And the issues that I bring to the meeting do not get the attention that I think they deserve. So there's a time after you've kind of heard, sorted through, that you go on to what it is you're wanting with better understanding when you ask for it. And I've been in difficult conversations where I've been, like, I felt like, I don't know, slighted or something, whatever, and just been like, oh, I get it. I never even advocated for myself. I was like, oh, I don't need to. I get it now. Right. So the, the conversation ended after I inquired. Oh, yeah. So, so that's perfect. So what you're saying is that in some cases, just by daylighting an issue mm-hmm. and proposing a solution, all of a sudden it's fixed. It's yep. not, it turns out to be. Yeah, yep. that's awesome. Which is kind of one of the final things of a difficult conversation. Once you've really engaged in an authentic give and take exchange of information, exchange of information, make sure that you get the information out that you want to present and you've actively listened, then you move towards problem solving. And I just want to say information doesn't mean data necessarily. It Although could be, data helps. It does help, but it's also feelings. It's also assumptions, all that. I mean, all of that stuff. Yeah. And then, yeah, once you get that exchange, then you get into problem solving, which I love the way of looking. A difficult conversation is just an exercise in problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. And you told me a long time ago when we were talking about conflict, when we were recording the episode about conflict, Mm -hmm. is that, you know, somebody is coming at you because they care. You know, they if you're if you if you are being approached with a difficult subject or someone's coming Mm -hmm. to you with a courageous conversation, that is a gift. That's a blessing. They're doing it because they care about you. They care about the relationship. They care about the workplace. They care about themselves. Something they care about. Yeah. Right. And so moving towards problem solving and, you know, having an opportunity to come to resolution together, you know, is a product of 
that sort of well, hopefully by the end of a difficult conversation is mutual concern and care. Mm-hmm. And, and figuring out a solution that's going to work for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I can go first on the agenda. What if you come to a solution? You know, what if you get to the end of a difficult conversation and you haven't solved it? You haven't solved it. You're not yeah. ready to problem solve. Yeah. You know, I've often said in those situations, you know, I really feel like this has been a good conversation. Let's come back to this other issue. Or I'd like to go away and think about this a bit more and re-engage again if you'd be okay with that. Because sometimes I don't have a good solution. Mm -hmm. Or I have a solution that I'm thinking about this. Would you think about this? Maybe we could talk about this again later. Mm -hmm. I love the talk again later. But don't lie. Don't lie. Yeah. Talk about it again later. Yeah, talk, make right? sure don't yes. don't not be true to your word of when following can, back when up can again. we get that meeting on account on the yeah, calendar? Do yeah. not leave with that ne- that without scheduling or else, the next or else committing to yourself. I'm going to reach out to them tomorrow and schedule that meeting. Okay, yeah, okay. I mean that's you're my most, thing. You're much kinder and gentler. I know you are. Well, that explains it. I'm late, and you actually have a calendar that works. And I'm like, <laughs> what time are we doing it? When are we going to have the rest? When are you fixing this? And I think you can always default to in, to curiosity. Mm-hmm. Like if you're really still in this you know, place where you can't come to resolution, you can default to curiosity. You're uh, both curious about yourself. What am I telling myself? What am I, what are my expectations? Mm-hmm. What are my needs that aren't being met? And then also really what is going on with this other person? There's no guarantee that getting your mindset, doing your prep and engaging in this, you know, step process of exchanging information and problem solving is going to get you to success. But in my experience, like, Nine out of 10 difficult conversations I have, I'm really happy I had. Yeah. Yeah. Really happy. It's the rare difficult conversation that I'm like, oh, because even if you don't get what you ultimately wanted out of that conversation, there's still a positive. There's likely a positive. Oh, there's yes. There's we got made some progress. It's very rare that I find that a difficult conversation just goes into the excuse me into the shitter. shit box oh the shitter. shitter you know can i just end on a story because i just th- i have a story that really makes this point i was channeling my friend kirsten Barron <laughs> the other day which i frequently do you know i i ma- i mask i'm i'm parade around as you you're so funny okay. people um, will say that i put on my kirsten Barron and i was really curious <laughs> oh yeah exactly i took my glass off and looked at people with that look she gives you you know what i'm talking about no i i had a client who had experienced some workplace bullying. Mm. And this was with somebody who was a, their faces was a friend. Was oh, a friend. I hate this. And they were, so they were not only like impacted by the situation, they were also impacted by the fact that it was like a double punch, a sucker punch because a one, two punch, because <laughs> it was also I could get from the, from a friend. Right. So they were mm. hurt. And I, you know, I said, do you feel comfortable calling this out? Is this something you want to, is this something that you're willing to say, hey, look, that, what, what you said to me really hurt my feelings and here's why. And, you know, after a while they decided, yeah, it was worth it to them to, to confront this person, have this difficult conversation. And, you know, I walked them through all of this and we got really prepared down to like scripting. Mm-hmm. What are you going to say? Mm-hmm. And the person that they were confronting, is that right? Confronting too strong? We're confronting people in a difficult conversation. Inquiring, trying to talk to. Engaging engaging with. Engaging with. You know, really didn't apologize. Was not able to Mm -hmm. see Mm -hmm. what they had done. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, despite our best efforts, was defensive and didn't apologize. Mm -hmm. And even that, I would say, was a positive com- outcome. Yes. Because you know what? I, this now is, she knows all about that person. That is my Kirsten Barron coming out. I said, well. Now you know who they are. You got some good information there, yep. didn't you? Mm-hmm. And so even if it doesn't go as you planned. There's you, probably a good outcome. There's a good outcome. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, I that's think- a really good point, Karina, because when I think back to the difficult conversations I've had, they have given me tremendous information. Yeah. I might not have liked it. Yep. Might have been hard to hear. Yeah. Might have challenged yeah. an assumption or a story you're telling yourself. Yeah. But you got some good information. Really good out information. Of it. Yeah. And I think that's it. You're doing the you're doing this for you. You're having these conversations for you. They don't need to suck. You can prepare. You can do it. And you will get something out of it. So, friends, if there's any of you out there who want to have a difficult conversation with me and you feel all prepped and ready. Call me first. I'll help you out. We'll coach you. <laughs> Send me a calendar invite. She might be a little late, but that's nothing do, against you. I do feel like I've opened the door to be like, well, now that you say it, Kirsten. No. Yes. <laughs> It'll be great. It It'll be great. Be. It could be great. It could be great. It's a lot of intimacy. Kirsten, they don't need to suck. Difficult no, exactly. conversations do not need to suck. All right. Well, that's it. That's it. Zippity's up. Zippity's up. zoo. <laughs> Difficult conversations don't need to suck. Number three in a series of don't needs to suck. Is it three? Okay, because we did meetings, Evaluation. evaluations. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And difficult conversations. conversations. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for the next one. Thanks for listening, friends. Thanks for listening, friends. Bye. Bye. Karina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded and produced by yours truly, Karina Hoyer and Kirsten Barron. Find all of our episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on our website, or email us at yougettowork at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 